This week in the markets, gold blasted higher along with shares on expectations of a rate cut this month. Well, welcome back to GoldSeek.com Radio, everyone. Your host, Chris Waltzek. A pleasure to be with you on this July 19th, Season 14, Episode 705 show. Well, the precious metals continued an epic rally, holding near six-year highs for the yellow metal. Well, Bill Murphy of GotIt.org returns with his comments on the sector with new insights on the rally. He's expecting brand new all-time record highs. His coin shop indicator suggests that John Q. Public hasn't quite yet jumped on board the gold rush, and that might indicate big pent-up demand. A coiled spring for future price action. Then Bob Hoy, editor-in-chief investment strategist of BobHoy.com, rejoins the show with his view on why gold could be the go-to asset of the next decade. He thinks the market bubble theme is echoing throughout history even today, and this could bode well for the precious metals sector. Especially silver, which blasted higher this week, still around 90 to 1 on the gold-to-silver ratio after recently touching 95 to one. I know my longtime listeners will recognize we haven't seen anything like that that I can recall since this show's been on the air about 14 years. And don't forget, Robert Ian wraps up the show with his latest must-hear report, and we'd like to field your questions and comments on our toll-free hotline, 641-715-3900. And if you haven't checked out my Ancient Artifacts Preservation Society blog, you can reach out to me. Just click the links there at the web page. We're at blogspot.net. So many new finds this week. Goldseek.com radio begins now with a market weather recap. Well, visibility virtually unlimited over the precious metals sector for the ninth week in a row as investors continued to pour fresh funds into the sector on news of several rate cuts likely from the U.S. Fed and their colleague, central banks. At Friday's closing bell, the yellow metal remained near lofty levels after blasting higher and then pulling back a bit, still up about twelve dollars, one percent at fourteen twelve. Silver ended at sixteen twenty, up nearly a dollar, while the XAU precious metal shares ended at up six dollars. Black gold though pulled back about seven percent, finishing around fifty five seventy five. And palladium though ended around fifteen oh eight, still treading water there while platinum picked up around 2%, finishing at 8.52. Well, gold hovered near the highest point in six years on expectations of a new rate cut cycle this month, and 18 interest rate cuts in just the past six months alone, according to Bank of America. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell noted on Tuesday in a testimony before the House and Senate lawmakers indicating that pretty solid odds of a rate hike at the July 30th to 31st meeting, the FOMC meeting. Currently, though, Fed funds futures traders at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange are indicating only about a 23% chance of a half-point cut, we're probably going to receive, almost certainly now, about a 60% probability of a quarter-point cut at the Fed meeting. Meanwhile, comments from U.S. Treasury Secretary Stephen Munchen 
on Wednesday regarding the U.S. noted on CNBC, or they think they're about 90% of the way to a trade deal with China, hopefully bringing an end to the trade skirmish and related tariffs. He noted he was confident that our president and China's Xi Jinping will make inroads into the stalled talks that occurred at the Group of 20 meeting in Osaka. Bottom line on precious metals, starting to see some very bullish signs in the market. Uh, the price action is much more bullish. Pullbacks seem to be buying opportunities for the strong hands. This is usually a signature or a hallmark of better times ahead and perhaps a new uptrend in the next year. And silver, though, acted a bit like an industrial metal, according to some folks. I don't know. Maybe more like titanium of the aerospace industry blasting off into orbit on hopes of a U.S.-China trade deal better than expected U.S. retail sales numbers. And it looks like investors may have taken our advice that silver was quite a bargain. It blasted way above all the other precious metals on a percentage basis, I think, this week. Clearly, folks saw that 92 to 95 on the gold to silver ratio and just had to pick up some discounted silver. Even around 88, 89, it's still a bargain in my book. Moving on to the Wall Street Report, partly cloudy skies over the New York Stock Exchange as, as investors book some profits in all three key indices, choosing the sidelines ahead of the imminent rate hike at the end of this month. By Friday's closing bell, the Dow was off just 177, about 1.5%, around 27.154. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 ended at 3,013, just about 2%, while the NASDAQ finished off only 100 at 81.50. The top headline moving the market. That on Wednesday of U.S. durable goods orders showed a larger than expected decline. And of course, this supports the outlook for a rate cut as our officials and policymakers are likely to want to boost the economy and increase industrial output. In addition, economists tend to turn to durable goods as a projection of gross domestic product growth. So sluggish numbers there could indicate a sluggish second quarter and maybe third quarter, turning to shares in the news. Boeing, ticker BA, was up almost 5% on news that the defense contractor would take a $5 billion second quarter charge related to its 737. Then BlackRock, ticker BLK, was near break-even. And Microsoft, ticker MSFT, one of our alpha stock newsletter favorites, blasted earnings estimates late Thursday thanks to strong growth in its Azure cloud business and LinkedIn. It sent shares to an all-time record high, and I know my alpha stock subscribers are happy to hear that. U.S. shares, bottom line. Well, as expected, after such an incredible rally and a big breakout, by the way, last week, traders took some profits and are waiting to see what type of reaction they will have, as well as they're on the sidelines, of course, ahead of the Fed rate cut, which we should see quarter point rate cut in about two weeks. And that could be just what the markets need. Coming up after the break, more Gold Seek Radio. Thanks for choosing GoldSeek.com Radio as a trusted business and investing news source. It's just a real pleasure to welcome Bob Hoy back to the studio today, formerly of Institutional Advisors, now Charts and Markets. Welcome back, Bob Hoy. Chris, it's always good to be with you because 
you and I'm sure you're representing your listeners as well are really good researcher yourself. This is what this is what it's all based upon. If you're not doing research, you're moving on intuition. And uh, I've always considered myself uh, a lucky researcher. Uh, I've stumbled upon uh, events, and then and events were linked, and then the, those uh, actually repeat. So, so in the seventies, I realized that you know they were talking about inflation and all the uh, and then so what coming out was the uh, you know the big bubble stuff. Uh, because you had, uh, they started talking about the South Sea bubble of 1720. So I looked at that, and then I looked at 1929, and then I looked in nine years before 1920. In, 19, in 1920, there was a huge global speculation in commodities. I mean, in the U.S., it even drew, drove the CPI uh, inflation up to 22%. Whereas uh, when it hit, what, 14 or 15 in 1980, this was an issue. So so then I thought, well, let's look back. And indeed, the first uh, Great Bubble, 1720, occurred nine years after a major global peak in commodities, which was 1711. So then I looked and I thought, okay, now we knew the Kondratiev stuff about things happening 50 to 55 years apart. So I said, well, there's bound to be, and his work was on commodity peaks, inflation peaks and stuff like that. So I went looking, and uh, I'd find a, a little mention of a financial problem in, in 1772. So I had a file, 1772, and it's about an inch and a half thick. And then you'd find a really obscure uh, mention of a financial problem in England in 1618. So I formed a paper file, 1618, and it's more than an inch thick. So then what you had, and I went looking for, was recurring patterns. Big commodity peak, like 1920 and big stock peak 1929. So then if you look at the S&P now, and the Dow are making new highs, people are making noise about it, but these are uh, indexes that financial institutions can buy. But if you take a look at the New York Stock Exchange Composite, it set a huge peak in January of 2018. And if you take a look at the world index of stocks without the U.S. in it, it set its peak in January of uh, 2018. And that was your nine years after the commodity peak in 2008. So this is matched up with history. And I think the extra excitement in S&P and Dow stocks is just just straight institutional funds buying the most liquid stocks. And these now, uh, this week, are getting a little overdone again. So the recurring patterns is amazing because there, no one wrote a book in 1720 on how to create a wild financial mania. And yet everyone since 
1929, and now possibly 2018, has followed that same pattern. So it's amazing. I think I'm going to write a story about this one. So here we are. Then the other thing you look for, for uh, you nowadays with technical measures we have, you can measure the degree of speculation. There's two things. One is momentum. Well, actually, there's three. The other is is a trading pattern that you get going into an important high. And then the other is like sentiment, the number of advisories that are bullish. And uh, so these all add up. Then the other one we do, Chris, is evaluation. Um, and this gets tricky because normal valuations are relative to earnings, the price-earnings ratio. And then when you've got the world wanting to buy stocks, the brokerage firms with their research department are, of course, eager to transact the business because if they don't do it, somebody else will. So then the research department will come up on estimates of earnings that may be extravagant, but they do make the PE multiple attractive. So it rationalizes buying. But the one I like is where you take the S&P and divide it in by the average wage from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And it's very high, and it's been high for way more than a year. And I haven't got the numbers in front of me, but it's higher than it got at the wild dot-com bubble in 2000. And it's very much higher than reached with the cyclical peak in 2007. So you've got excessive valuations. You've had great momentum moves. You've had sentiment. And you've got pattern all calling, uh, all sort of saying that this is a major top in the stock market being built now. And we have to respect this is this is clinical stuff, Chris. Uh, it's just telling us that. So then the other thing that is very easy to uh, research is again on these great financial bubbles. And as they occurred in England, because it was the senior economy and the senior financial market before New York, that the peaks in the greatest bubbles in history were always in May or June. And then they turned around in the summertime, and all five previous great bubbles suffered a liquidity crisis in the fall of the year. And then the worst sort of in latish October, and then um, kind of some relief, and then the uh, final test in each one was in November, where it kind of cleared the markets, and then you got the rebound. So this is, except for one, the, um, the huge 1825 bubble, that liquidity crisis uh, went on right down until Christmas time of that year. 
and this is, of course, what we used last year, that if there was, was some selling pressures discovered in the fall, that it could clear as late as uh, as, as uh, Christmas time. So uh, we had a little technical work there uh, on, our, I think it was December 26, we sent it out where both the S&P uh, had generated downside capitulations and crude oil at the same time, December 26. So that one cleared the market, and then, of course, then you go to, for the rebound. And here again, you use history. And when is the likely, when is the market likely to be best? Well, May, June. So we just sort of said second quarter, uh, we would find uh, an important top. And it's sort of building in here now. So our view now, Chris, is that we've had very good innings. The gains in the stock market at the four-month notch from the start of the year were the best on, who knows, decades. Um, but you've got comfort things that go with a good move in the stock market, and that was action in in the yield curve, it was being positive. Uh, the curve, of course, is the difference between long-dated bonds and short-dated stuff. And then you also have had very positive action in the credit spreads. And, of course, that's the difference uh, in risk between uh, high-grade uh, high bonds and low-grade bonds. And when you're in a boom... There's a lot of confidence, so people will buy low-grade bonds. But the yield curve is now, th let's call it beginning to change. It's had one step back, and the next step uh, will be important. And then you also have the uh, credit spreads, and it's had what we call the first breakout on a turn to possible widening. And right now, as we speak, it's very close to doing the second breakout. And then going back to 2007, the second breakout, I think, was in late July, maybe July 25th or something like that, just going off memory. So it gave um, uh, a warning uh, to the high in that stock market, which was the middle of October. I have a number of months. It was comfortable. So... We'll be letting our readers know about uh, this second breakout on credit spread widening and the second stage of the yield curve turning. And I mention these two because if you look at all of the bull markets in history, they have uh, turned and been uh, alerted. The turn has been alerted by changes in the credit markets. And the other thing is that if if the central banking, the Federal Reserve, really was working, they would prevent the changes in the yield curve, and they would prevent the changes in credit spreads that anticipates the reversal. But they can't do it. So yes, they can lower interest rates at the short end, but then. Mr. Market and Mother Nature take it from after that. They just do what they want, and the public does what it wants. 
You know, you brought up a couple interesting points. This issue we're facing today, it really echoes throughout history. One of my early favorites, Fiat Money, Inflation in France by Dixon White, Extraordinary Popular Delusions, Madness of Crowds by Mackay. Only part of that book was on the financial markets. The rest, I think, was human psychology. And it really is a psychological phenomenon. I mean, people, they go mad in herds. They come back to the senses slowly. Beautiful. They go mad in herds. Yeah, they return to their senses one by one. And here we are today. What a jubilee we've had for the last, especially 40, 50 years, I think you'd agree. The percentage of those who have enjoyed the jubilee in the last few years, I think you'd agree, has collapsed. The middle class used to, about 20, 30 years ago, the inception, we're all lured, aren't we? We take the bait and then the trap, you know, snaps shut. Yeah, we got the guidance there. And right now I'd be... Uh, selling the rallies, taking, building your own personal liquidity, because this is the feature of a post-bubble condition, is that liquidity absolutely vanishes. There's no money around. There's no money around for anything. And here's the irony: is that the Federal Reserve was set up to, well, in 1900, most experienced people in banking knew that a financial setback was followed by a recession. So they came up with the idea, okay, we'll have the Federal Reserve System, and it will be a lender of last resort, and it will prevent financial setbacks. Therefore, there will be no recessions. And this, of course, was all renewed in the 1960s with Paul Samuelson, who was one of the key guys in macroeconomics, where then the economists began to get mainframe computers and then they could do programs and models on the economy. And then I know that was a buzz because I came into the business in the mid-60s. And in 1965-66, pretty good bull market. And things getting a little stressed. And, oh, no, the word was, no, there won't be any recessions. So, but if you just take a look at the National Bureau of Economic Research, they're the outfit that declares officially recessions and, and uh, expansions. And there's been 18 recessions since the Fed started in 1913. And one of the... Concepts used to get fed through was that it would prevent recessions. So it's an obvious failure. And uh, the what I think is that the next next recession, and there will be one when you've had a boom like this. It's it's inevitable. And at this point, the folks, as part of the popular uprising, will look at the trillions of dollars of tax money that were thrown into the markets uh, to prevent bad things from happening. And, of course, it never works. But this is what you were saying, is that fewer and fewer of the middle class are actually benefiting from all of the boom stuff. And it's actually only financial adventurers and traders and whatnot who can take advantage of it. And this is where you have the extraordinary uh, number of billionaires who have made, actually in, a, in the classical sense of the word, 
fabulous amounts of wealth out of uh, paper, very high-priced stocks. So the uh, popular uprising is attempting to take the process of government out of experts' hands and put it back into we the people. And then also part of this would be is the funding of intrusive government, which, as you mentioned earlier in the show, that they were pushing taxation to the limits, takes so much taxation out of the system. So then the rest of the ambition is satisfied by the central bank printing money. So you, you, uh, the notion that the central bank, bank can manage the economy is is not been proven. But it, that it continues is because it is providing unlimited funding to another experiment in unlimited government. And the whole point of the U.S. written constitution was to prevent experiments in unlimited government, and uh, it hasn't been successful. But then, on the other hand, the British parliamentary tradition with an unwritten constitution, but a system that was supposed to be bulletproof against ambitious government, uh, the ambition got around that system of uh, limited government as well. So we live in extraordinary times. So, And the last long experiment in authoritarian government began in about 1500 and corrupted everything in in society and ran its limit in the early 1600s and it's the reformation is best followed in England and uh, it's just ordinary folk had had enough of it and began to resist and one thing that uh, our listeners should look up and it's in the wikipedia is England's, and it's called the Glorious Revolution, in quotation marks, of uh, 1688. And you can read that, and it, it was essentially a popular uprising against the last absolutist king. And he even threatened to bring troops over from France to, uh, is, to impose his order in England, but he didn't have the didn't have the politics behind him. Uh, essentially, the um, prosperous this prosperity uh, businessman in London uh, really made the thing go. But it had widespread popular support in the country, and then the last absolutist king looked at the way the wind was blowing and realized that he was on the losing side. So he he went over. The last uh, authoritarian king moved over and found comfort in authoritarian France. But uh, as I say, we our listeners should Google it in the Wikipedia. It's just quite simply glorious revolution, and it's very much similar. So... Chris, well, I'm I'm watching for ex- 
these excesses in the financial markets to to run their course in the next month or so, uh, we're looking for then the possible discovery of a liquidity problem in the fall. And uh, this then would be an important step. Now, this is this is kind of pessimistic. But on the optimistic side, if the public can see that this great intrusion by the central banks not working, then you're in a condition whereby the whole of the financial side can be reformed and it would go along with a movement to reform uh, unlimited government. So on the longer term, I'm, I'm one of the optimists on on the political course of history that it will uh, this popular uprising uh, will be successful and it will eventually be called a, a great reformation so hey there's financial risks ahead but then ultimately for ordinary folk there'll be a, a political reform and i'm looking forward to it uh, speaking of you know potential for unexpected occurrences you know we've had the bulk of our guests here for a decade calling for the end of U.S. equities, um, five, six hundred weeks in a row almost. I mean, one of the longest and spectacular, most spectacular bull markets. Of course, if you really look at it from the former peak of the year 2000 or 2008, maybe it's not that big of a uh, bull market rally. But while we try to pontificate on why a market top is in, why it should roll over, why we think it's going to. Why not just look at the primary theme and trend? You know, we've just made a new high in the past few months. There's no reason to assume we won't make further highs. I mean, that is the tendency. From September 1929, that uh, everybody learned to buy the dips. And then there's always the last dip that doesn't work. So this is where our technical uh, research comes in. Uh, that uh, the, um, yeah, we've got the momentum, we've got the sentiment, and we're getting patterns that suggest this is topping. So then what you need to see is a, a, a real break in momentum, and then indexes taking out the previous dip. And uh, then you look at the seasonals, hey, when's that going to, when's it probable? After, uh, after August. So, uh but, yeah, this is going to trade around in here now. But, again, every one of these great financial booms. And also consider, Chris, that for participants, even though as early as 1720, it was the biggest financial boom in history. And each one since has been the biggest and most compelling financial boom in history. So... No one, uh, even with the senior central bank, there was no real move made to bring the speculation to an end. It just ends typically in the summer, and then you have a liquidity problem in the fall. So that's what we're resting on, and it's just quite simple. You've got uh, strong bids now. It's time to be lightening up on stocks. Also, you would be uh, the uh, market for low-grade securities, junk, etc., has been very good. And uh, 
it'd be lightening up on that, getting rid of risk. Now, also in the in the corporate market, the corporate bond market, the high-grade corporate bond market, the action has been fantastic. Uh, corporations have been doing new issues as fast as they can because the market wants it. But the rush in prices for uh, high-grade bonds, corporates, the uh, the symbol is LQD. Uh, it's given a couple of weeks ago all our technical bells and whistles. It's got upside exhaustion, which is momentum. And it's got a sequential sell, which is a pattern. And we had a week before that, we had the same action in long treasuries, the bond future. And both are rolling over. So, that, again, this is important thing because they've been calling this the the, the everything bubble. And uh, this goes back to October 2017 when uh, we did a piece and the conclusion was that everything would get bubbled, including even the Dow. And uh, this is when a widely followed uh, financial advisor was saying that the Dow would go up to 40,000 because there were no alternatives that all that money created would have to flow into the into the New York Stock Exchange uh, because everything else would be there'd be no alternatives but then we ended up indeed with the as they're now calling it for the last year and a half the everything bubble and part of the everything bubble has been uh, the incredible action in in the bond future and then uh, more recently in high grade bonds and these are these are rolling over so the everything bubble is beginning to lose participants and uh, at an interesting time so uh yeah i'm quite confident that uh we have, let's call it this way let's come up with a metaphor chris that sunshine would prevail until around mid-year and then august would see the sunshine turn to twilight and then after August we go into the twilight zone you remember the Rod Serling series on TV from years ago it was really scary stories and a scary theme so yeah and we've had the sunshine and it looks like things are setting up to turn to twilight so you're not a big believer then that we're um, we're likely to continue in this remarkable breakout that we've seen in U.S. equities. That's uh, the measures are there. We've got the the, the readings. Now there's also uh, you were wondering about places to go. Now I mentioned the high grade bond market, which has been fabulous. Now when it gets this far, you want to. Uh, shorten term and reduce risk so uh, our ideal position would be three to four year uh, high-grade corp u.s corporate bonds um, another good position mm, is yet to come uh, in each of the post-bubble contractions in the past 
and profitability has flowed back into the gold mining, and you've had the greatest bull markets in history for gold have occurred during post-bubble contractions. And But the problem is that if we do have uh, a sell-off in the fall in the big market, it's going to take the gold st stocks down with it. And gold is actually acting well. Um, it also is... Uh, is building a base on its real price as adjusted by the consumer price index. So, on, and this is what we watch for the longer term, gold's real price going up will set up the next big bull market in gold. We've, we've been positioned in this rally. It was November 1st when uh, uh, our technical said, yeah, let's buy on weakness and... Uh, the next low was in the middle of uh, of November, and uh, it's been a good rally. And getting uh, gold stocks are getting a little overdone here now. Now the street is getting uh, revved up about uh, silver, and of course, I've been in the business for a long time, and there's never been a year when there hasn't been a shortage of silver. You know, we hit 95 on the gold to silver ratio. I mean, wow. Even if you're not a believer in the silver story, I mean, could there be a better time to maybe diversify a gold holding a bit, even just a third or a quarter into silver and think of the relative value? I mean, it's an incredible. The, the thing about the gold-silver ratio is that in every... Uh, post-bubble contraction, the uh, the gold-silver ratio goes up where silver underperforms gold, and uh, you've uh, the ratio going up here now is actually one of our indicators on a pending um, financial contraction. Uh, say we get into September, and you get a day where suddenly silver's down a whole bunch against gold. And uh, that is often precedes a liquidity problem in the, in stocks and bonds. So uh, the the gold silver ratio going up now is telling us that there are financial problems ahead. And a few weeks ago, I mean, the, the GSR got ahead of itself. But what we would look for here now is volatility in the GSR, and then in September the next leg up in the gold-silver ratio seems probable where suddenly peep, uh, silver, as I say, in previous financial distress, silver gets marked down relative to gold seriously. It, it, as a matter of fact, Chris, it's so reliable, it's an indicator. So for us, the gold-silver ratio going up is, the equivalent, well, I've, I've called the gold-silver ratio the metallic credit spread. So it's like credit spreads, which have been widening for the last month, uh, you know, high-grade, low-grade bonds. And um, the, the gold-silver ratio has been rising. So those will go together. So, but I, to, to say now that, and also on these metals, you can make more money out of the playing the, the stocks, like gold stocks or silver stocks, rather than the metals themselves. And uh, it's the investment way to do it. And uh, But that's ahead of us. There's going to be uh, 
a very lengthy bull market for gold, and uh, we're looking forward to it. The rally since uh, last fall has been a, a good one, and uh, and the, some of the gold stocks we follow are getting a little overbought. Well, you know, that's good news, right? Music to the ears of our precious metals aficionados to hear we will have a lengthy bull market. And, you know, you're really echoing, I think, the thoughts of a lot of our top guests here. And, of course, the hopes and aspirations of a lot of people who um, are frustrated, I think, with a lot of the investment. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, sec- the gold, sec- precious metals been in the bear market since 2011. But in 2011... You had the gold-silver ratio way down. As a matter of fact, we flip it when we do the silver-gold ratio. And when, and of course, in any bull market for both metals, silver will outperform. And when the uh, RSI, which is a momentum indicator, gets above 80, <laughs> the speculation is good. And in, I think it was April or May of 2011, that RSI got up to 92. We were monitoring at the time, and we knew that the only other time that that RSI got up to 92 was in January 1980, when silver was up to $48. So, um, the uh, and we also had in 2011 an indicator that I haven't talked about. It's the uh, it's our momentum peak forecaster and it gave a huge sell signal on the hot items which were then base metals and precious metals so so we had two two things going for us at that peak but now what we're looking for is that when i'm talk about a bull market based upon gold gold's real price going up that's post bubble deflation and you do not need to have gold going up in U.S. dollar terms. As a matter of fact, it's quite likely that the U.S. dollar will be chronically firm relative to most currencies and most commodities. And Chris, you might wonder why I come up with that one, and that's what's happened with the senior currency in all five previous uh, post-bubble contractions, the Senior currency just becomes, as I say, chronically strong against most currencies and most commodities for most of the time. It's the it's the feature of a post bubble deflation. But ironically, Mother Nature sets it up so that you have a bull market in gold, a real price in gold stocks, because in a financial mania, you have a huge expansion of that's called normal instruments of credit. And then also you have the fanciful inst- instruments of credit like CDOs and all sorts of invented stuff. And in the in the bus, these things uh, just uh, go into a vacuum. And so what happens is as the real price of gold goes up, m- producers mine more gold. Gold goes in the banking system and begins to provide a liquidity, a real liquidity, when all of the normal instruments of credit are contracting and the fanciful instruments of credit just disappear, leaving, as I said, a, a credit vacuum 
and Mother Nature fills vacuums, and she does it in the financial markets by having gold's real price go up. So, and it's not just the miners. You sure they're making more money, but say you're uh, an exploration company and a gold deposit, and it doesn't have to be in production. Maybe price of gold, it's not. And but when you get the real price going up. It also enhances the valuation of a exploration property. So the whole of the gold side from producers to exploration bets will do very well. Very good. All right, Bob Hoy, we just can't thank you enough. Would you like to tell people more about the services you provide? Yeah, we publish uh, weekly a good uh, survey of all of the key items in the financial markets, and then our technical work comes out on opportunities where, hey, here's a trade, long or short, let's go. So we actually do have uh, an enjoyable time. Good, Chris, and look forward to talking to you next time. The blockchain revolution is transforming the global arena, disrupting every industry in its path. Goldseek.com is excited to introduce an off-the-chain opportunity in digital gold and silver from our friends at Atmex and Sprott.com. One Gold holds physical gold and silver medals at the Royal Canadian Mint, the first online marketplace to offer secure and convenient buying, selling, and redemption of digital precious metals. One Gold uses Vault Chain, a secure, immutable blockchain ledger developed by Tradewind markets the leading innovator in digital precious metals distributed ledger and blockchain technology vault chain gold and silver are 100 redeemable through one gold for physical precious metals delivered to customers doors in any size at competitive prices and low transaction storage costs as a special offer and for a limited time only one gold is offering gold and silver at spot price with no additional premiums one gold.com is secure and accessible 24 7 on any device offering convenient purchases and sales of precious metals easy recurring transactions make passive saving and gold dollar cost averaging as as easy as a single mouse click. Vault Chain offers the best tier pricing on AppMex products, setting the industry standard as a fully backed physical asset with easy redemption in coins, rounds, or bars, offering clients peace of mind and full transparency. Don't get left behind. Remember to bookmark OneGold.com for the safest and most convenient digital precious metals today. Remember OneGold. GoldSeek employees may or may not own shares. Nothing contained herein should be construed as investment advice. Shopping for fine jewelry just got easier. GoldSeek.com has identified the most successful jewelry brand to launch in recent times. Many jewelry is rewriting the way consumers buy fine jewelry. Integrity Craftsmanship, the only company to sell 24 karat gold and platinum jewelry, avoiding confusing alloys and gems, a true precious metals investment. Many Jewelry's disruptive business model embraces Franco-American craftsmanship and direct-to-consumer economics, rapidly disrupting the $20 billion monopoly, just like Amazon and Uber. The sky is the limit with $1 billion of jewelry purchases daily for loved ones and those special occasions. Many Jewelry is an innovator positioned to capture market share with annual sales growth in the industry topping $30 billion. By 2021, Many Jewelry coined the term investment jewelry, pricing by the gram, transparently disclosing its profit margins, a truer investment in pure gold or platinum. Similar to real estate, even artwork, Many Jewelry has a weighted value, easily calculated, ensuring value wealth as a long-term investment. But sales in 60 countries around the globe, 20,000 orders already, don't miss out on the explosive growth potential. 
Many jewelry trades under the symbols M-E-N-E on the Toronto Exchange and in the U.S. M-E-N-E-F. Remember to sign up to May's Shareholder Club to receive shareholder news, updates, and special discount codes for jewelry purchases. Remember, many jewelry. Goldseek employees may or may not own shares. Nothing contained herein should be construed as investment advice. It's just a pleasure to welcome back Bill Murphy from the Gold Antitrust Association. They're a watch group and hard on the heels, you might say, of the gold cartel. Welcome back, Bill Murphy. Thanks for having me, Chris. Great to have you here. And, you know, a lot going on in the markets these days. We finally got a breakout in recent months of gold. We've been looking for this. Now all the big guns seem to be lining up, or maybe not all of them, but many folks are getting on board here. Top folks that you don't normally expect. Some of the biggest speculators that we've seen in history are now getting excited about the prospects of gold and silver. Well, I think it's obviously very exciting, and it's been a long time coming. I think what most people don't understand is that gold and silver are priced at artificially low levels and have been for many years thanks to the gold cartel, which has suppressed the prices. And now oh, demand's coming in from all over the world. And I think probably the last time we talked, we talked about the physical gold market drying up on the bad guys. And that's what seems to have happened. So it's taking off, obviously, and it's trading like it's never traded in six, eight, ten, eight, eight years. And uh, when the gold-silver ratio recently went to, to 93 now, all of a sudden, the buying's coming in in silver, and the gold cartel and J.P. Morgan are going nuts trying to stop it. I was looking the other day at stockcharts.com, gold-silver ratio, very close to 95, somewhere around 1 to 15. Some folks even say 1 to 12 or lower than natural gold-to-silver ratio. So just can't see how it's not the bargain of the century. U.S. equities, I mean, how can we have a precious metals market rally, you know, with equities just hitting new highs? Well, they are, they're trying to stop. The gold open interest went up 20,000 contracts yesterday. Silver is 10,000 contracts from an all-time high at this pitifully low price. They're going all out trying to stop it, and they got a big problem. As I mentioned, the key is, is that most people don't realize uh, that how artificially low these prices are thanks to what the, the price suppression scheme. And it's a big, big deal. Gold broke out of its cage, and now silver's playing catch-up, and uh, I think the Surprise will be uh, on how high these precious metals go. I can tell you this for a fact, if I may, that the public's not interested. There are, almost all the coin shops and gold, silver shops I speak to today tell me that everybody wants to sell. There are no buyers. You know, every time we've had a big rally in the weekly uh, charts over the past, as you say, eight years or so, the cartel smacks it right down. And then for four weeks after a really big run-up, gold just held its own. Every time they smacked it down, it popped back up. And that went on for almost a month. That's the type of price action you want to see in a bull market. They can't take it down. The smart money is accumulating, and it's the herd that's taking profits. Are you watching at all this story out of Europe and, of course, here in the U.S.? You know, we've got Christine Lagarde take over the helm at the European Central Bank, well-known as being a monetary expansionist. And then, of course, we have central bankers now that they're talking dovish, that that could be another positive for precious metal. The lower interest rates go, the better it is for gold. But it's not the key because, what was it, years ago, we had them go way down, too, and, and gold was... was trampled. It's all about what the gold cartel can get away with, in my opinion. And they're losing control. I think we probably talked about it the last time I was on your show. And it's just getting more evident that they have some big problems. And all these reasons for gold to go much, much higher, you know, into all-time high grounds in dollar terms, 
have been there for a while, most of them, and they're just getting more British. And it's an old expression: nothing, you know, nothing changes till it does. And now all of a sudden, these these uh, reasons for gold to go higher are being taken uh, into consideration by the big players, as you mentioned. And gold and silver off to the races. I think the surprise is going to be is how high and how fast they go in the, over the rest of the summer. They've run out of the ammunition, the actual physical metal, to contain the paper market. We know it's been artificially suppressed. What is the big story that hasn't broken yet? Well, you know, I'm prejudiced, of course, but, you know, the, the goddess story, but no, no one will tell it in the sense of what the, the gold cartel has done, and very few people anyway, and that's, that's not in the public domain. We send stuff to newspaper organizations, and they refuse to print it. So I think when that breaks, you know, it's it's really going to be an eye opener for a lot of people, and it's as I said, it's an exciting time because really gold has made its move and silver just beginning without the aid of the fear trade, as you mentioned, the stock markets, you know, near all time highs, and and the dollar really hasn't done that much. So if those things, those two uh, variables come back into the market, uh, you got a swing shot going here. The canary in the coal mine, I think, is palladium. Big record demand in China and Southeast Asia for automobiles. Maybe that's one component. The real story there, they had a market that has virtually no paper contracts around its neck to contain it. It's a precious metals market, you see. And it's, I would argue, less precious than silver. More silver than uh, palladium. But, I mean, silver is of infinite industrial and jewelry value. When they start to realize that silver is the new palladium, and palladium is now priced $100 over the yellow metal, I think there's going to be some fireworks ahead. Uh, you want to give everybody maybe your uh, next six-month outlook on the precious metals, please? I'm always bullish, and I've been talking about silver making, starting to make a move toward $100 now for years, and, and that's been obviously way off, but I think the surprise will be how fast gold and silver take off from present uh, from present levels and it's hard to put a number on it but you know the you know i i think uh the gold physical market is in play and my feeling for the past many weeks and months is that the gold market goes first physical market dries up they don't have the ammo to keep the gold price down and then all of a sudden the people will look at silver and see how cheap it is and if there's enough physical supply now all of a sudden people that do need it like you've just been talking about will all of a sudden go to make sure they can secure supply and what supply in silver's available will dry up and that's when silver starts to really just take off like a rocket you've got a massively undervalued asset for less than it costs to produce add to the fact that it is the only free lunch as far as investment portfolio diversification goes which means you got to have it. And then if you want a cherry on top, it's the most important industrial metal, uh, certainly precious metal, and then the second most important industrial metal behind copper. Silver, triple digits. All right, Bill Murphy, Gata.org and La Metropole Cafe. Maybe just a quick overview of uh, the services you provide. Well, I try, you know, I do uh, write about the gold and silver markets every day and put financial news in my my uh, commentary and I have some other people that contribute like James McShirley does a fantastic job he probably knows more about futures than anybody out there and Chris does a great job uh, with gata.org and is on top of the situation too and gets the gata message out there to whoever, whoever he can and we're fighting the good fight one day it's going to be a big deal probably when the gold and silver markets blow up but it's an exciting time you've certainly kept the lights on you know with interest in this in the area and i'd also just give a quick hat to your colleague we appreciate all you all do all right bill murphy thank you sir 
Thank you, Chris. Anytime. The blockchain revolution is transforming the global arena, disrupting every industry in its path. Goldseek.com is excited to introduce an off-the-chain opportunity in digital gold and silver from our friends at Atmex and Sprott.com. One Gold holds physical gold and silver medals at the Royal Canadian Mint, the first online marketplace to offer secure and convenient buying, selling, and redemption of digital precious metals. One Gold uses Vault Chain, a secure, immutable blockchain ledger developed by Tradewind markets the leading innovator in digital precious metals distributed ledger and blockchain technology vault chain gold and silver are 100 redeemable through one gold for physical precious metals delivered to customers doors in any size at competitive prices and low transaction storage costs as a special offer and for a limited time only one gold is offering gold and silver at spot price with no additional premiums one gold.com is secure and accessible 24 7 on any device offering convenient purchases and sales of precious metals. Easy recurring transactions make passive saving and gold dollar cost averaging as easy as a single mouse click. Vault Chain offers the best tier pricing on AppMex products, setting the industry standard as a fully backed physical asset with easy redemption in coins, rounds, or bars, offering clients peace of mind and full transparency. Don't get left behind. Remember to bookmark OneGold.com for the safest and most convenient digital precious metals today. Remember, One Gold. Goldseek employees may or may not own shares. Nothing contained herein should be construed as investment advice. Shopping for fine jewelry just got easier. Goldseek.com has identified the most successful jewelry brand to launch in recent times. Many Jewelry is rewriting the way consumers buy fine jewelry. Integrity Craftsmanship, the only company to sell 24 karat gold and platinum jewelry, avoiding confusing alloys and gems, a true precious metals investment. Many Jewelry's disruptive business model embraces Franco-American craftsmanship and direct-to-consumer economics, rapidly disrupting the $20 billion monopoly, just like Amazon and Uber. The sky is the limit with $1 billion of jewelry purchases daily for loved ones and those special occasions. Many Jewelry is an innovator positioned to capture market share with annual sales growth in the industry topping $30 billion by 2021. Many Jewelry coined the term investment jewelry, pricing by the gram, transparently disclosing its profit margins, a truer investment in pure gold or platinum. Similar to real estate, even artwork, Many Jewelry has a weighted value easily calculated ensuring value wealth as a long-term investment. With sales in 60 countries around the globe, 20,000 orders already, don't miss out on the explosive growth potential. Many Jewelry trades under the symbols M-E-N-E on the Toronto Exchange and in the U.S. M-E-N-E-F. Remember to sign up to Many's Shareholder Club to receive shareholder news, updates, and special discount codes for jewelry purchases. Remember, Many Jewelry. Goldseek employees may or may not own shares. Nothing contained herein should be construed as investment advice. I had the opportunity to have an informal discussion with a senior mortgage loan officer from Colorado this week. I always enjoy talking with people who are on the front line of various industries and gaining a real-time perspective of what is happening now. I asked if the real estate market was at or near a top, or if it had already started to decline in that region. I was told the top in real estate is upon us. By way of example, two years ago, the appraisal on a Denver home at the beginning of a nine-month construction loan 
came in at $450,000. Nine months later, when the house was complete, the final appraisal came in at $505,000. That's a 12% appreciation in nine months. A year ago, a $400,000 construction loan appraisal came in at $401,000 nine months later when the home was built. Virtually no increase. Another observation was that many younger, single professionals were unable to qualify for a mortgage, and those that chose to buy versus renting were having to enlist their parents as co-signers. The influx of new residents to that area is also straining the rental market, with monthly rents for a two-bedroom apartment in one suburb jumping from $700 to $2,200 over the past four to five years. A good point of reference for your area is to look at the price-tax history of homes listed for sale on Zillow or other real estate websites. I saw a house go on the market this week and decided to check out its price history shortly after it went online. It was built in 2006, just prior to the real estate collapse, when it sold for $318,000. Then in 2014, which was the tail end of the real estate bottom in Nevada, it sold for $205,000. It was sold again in 2016 for $249,000, and now it was just listed for $335,000. A $130,000 appreciation on a $205,000 house in just over five years. What if you bought that house right now? Are you confident it would continue to appreciate, or for that matter, even hold its value? Would you co-sign on such a house for your children, knowing that a sudden depreciation would result in negative equity for which you would be responsible. Regardless of how well the economy appears to be doing in the short term, the debt monster lurks in the shadows with Father Time, ready to strike at a moment's notice and drain you of your liquidity and assets for a very long time into the future. Proceed with caution. And until next time, this is Robert Ian with ConquerChange.com. Okay, Robert, thanks for another excellent installment. Well, that wraps up this week's GoldSeek.com radio episode. For two new big guests, be sure to check out next week's show. Until we talk to you again, have a great week.
GoldSeek employees may or may not own shares. Nothing contained herein should be construed as investment advice.